Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd and Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Lyson Casey. Hello everyone. And today we are interviewing someone super special to me, my brother, Eric Lloyd, who is the CEO and co-founder of Brink Bionics. Hey, how's it going? So tell us, first of all, what is Brink Bionics and how has it changed from when it first started to what it is now? So we started the company a little over a year ago in February of last year uh, around um, the technology that we were working on in our lab at the University of Waterloo. So the lab focuses on technology that interfaces with the brain and peripheral nervous system. And my research in particular was focused on upper limb prosthetics. So what we wanted to create, um, sort of the goal of Brink Bionics, was to develop an upper limb prosthesis that wasn't cheap, made of cheap materials and low-quality 3D-printed parts, but still affordable. So competing with the best of the technology on the market in terms of price and then outperforming that technology as well. Um, But in terms of where we've gone in the last year, we've done a major pivot recently. In sitting down and talking among our co-founders and our early investors and advisors, what we realized is we wanted to create a company that wasn't just another medical device company. We wanted to create a company around human enhancement technology. So taking existing technology from our research and beyond and applying it in ways we could enhance human performance capabilities. Originally, we wanted to reach that through developing prosthetics. We realized that wasn't necessarily the best direction, so we've now moved to a new technology. What were some of the challenges with the old business model that you won't be facing uh, after the pivot? And what are some things, some new challenges that you're facing with the new technology? So initially, what we found in looking at the prosthetics market was there's lots, there are several companies in the world developing affordable upper limb prosthetics. And given the fact that the prosthetics market worldwide is very small, um, in comparison to other consumer technology markets or even other medical device markets. Uh, We saw the market as being oversaturated within the next five years. Lots of prosthetic companies competing for a very small market share, especially look at a market like North America, which was the largest prosthetics market in the world. Not by number of people who've lost limbs, but by the actual um, overall profit that's made in that market, the revenue made in that market. So after the pivot, a lot of our challenges have gone away. So our new technology is focused around gaming. What we've basically developed in our lab is a system that can measure muscle signals from your peripheral nervous system through your hand, and we can use that information in gaming applications. So we gather signals from your nervous system and measure your intention to move when doing, let's say, mouse click actions for gaming, and can send those movement intentions to your PC before your finger ever actually moves, and therefore enhancing your reaction time. For gaming applications. The challenges um, differ from medical device consumer technology when shifting to consumer technology. Um, first of all, we don't have the problems associated with the medical approval process, so the barrier to entry and the cost to get that technology to market is much lower. Uh, other challenges would be more in medical device, the need for prosthetics is very clear. We speak with clinicians, there are current devices in the market that fulfill certain capabilities and clinicians have a very sort of clear understanding of what the future of those technologies looks like. When introducing a gaming technology into the market, let's say, 
the problems become much different because what we're trying to do is enhance performance capabilities and disrupt sort of the status quo of what gamers are used to with respect to their own gaming hardware. So the challenges posed in the gaming technology market and consumer in general is convincing people through you know technology demos and demonstrating the capabilities that the system you're building is worthwhile. So I guess in summary, medical devices, the need is clear. With consumer technology, we may see the need for that technology and the capability that it brings, but I think it takes a lot more um, resources to convince the general consumer market that your technology is worthwhile. So you mentioned that now you've switched to a consumer-facing business. Can you explain what the gaming technology is that you're providing to consumers? The name of the technology we're developing is Brink Bionics Impulse. So what we're developing right now um, is a technology that was working on the lab simply as a side project for a while. And basically what we found is that if we interface with the peripheral nervous system with small muscles in the hand and gather that information when performing mouse clicks, we can actually predict when a user is going to perform left or right mouse clicks before they actually move. And we can perform that in advance. Um, we saw in some of our testing by up to 60 milliseconds, which would be about a 30% advance of when a user actually clicks. So in applying that technology and those algorithms, we can give gamers faster than natural reaction time for PC mice commands. And what we decided to do was turn that into a gaming, a wearable gaming enhancement that gamers could use with their existing equipment, with their existing peripherals to enhance the performance capabilities. And the reason we wanted to build that technology was in part, uh, some studies point to gamers and people's reaction time dropping after the age of 25. And that means that even speaking with some older gamers that I've uh, had the time to interact with, uh, we've... Even they have stated that their reaction time has noticed significant drops. They can't compete with the younger gamers like they used to. So we wanted to create a technology that could enhance uh, the reaction time for gamers sort of over 25 to level the playing field for gaming. So the people are competing based on their skills and their strategic capabilities, not based on natural um, physiological capabilities. And how do you go about uh, actually finding product market fit and determining if uh, consumers do need or want this product? So our process right now initially was going to uh, keeping locally, uh, keeping our discussions local initially. The University of Waterloo has a big gaming community. So we kept our focus in talking to gamers around campus and getting their feedback and opinions on their problems and limitations as it relates to their reaction time when playing. Uh, we also wanted to be careful. We didn't want to create a technology that would provide an unfair advantage. Our goal is to level the playing field for users. So our next step was then to reach out a bit further using the capital we have to do some small-scale um, marketing, targeted marketing through Facebook um, with their existing ad tools and bring attention to our technology from gamers at large to determine how interested people are in the technology. So basically using a Facebook ad to tra to send traffic to our landing page, which talks about our technology and then encouraging people to sign up to keep up to date on that information. This is what we really want to be able to do when developing such, uh, doing a, developing a consumer centric technology. We want to be able to have a constant interaction with members, with gamers that are both casual and more, I guess, hardcore and dedicated gamers to get an understanding of uh, what they like and don't like about our product uh, from a design, comfort, and functionality standpoint. So that's sort of the next step is to have this constant back and forth communication with the rest of the community. And when can people kind of test it? Is that uh, something that you guys have coming up soon? 
so we are going to be looking at conducting tests in our lab. We will initially be keeping that locally. So anybody who's around the University of Waterloo area will be able to bring them into our lab and test our system uh, in the near future. And um, with you and your co-founders, how did you all go about actually building the technology? So a lot of the technologies that we look at bringing to market from our lab uh, have started as research projects. So whether it's the gaming technology or prosthetics or exoskeletons, we look um, at the, it starts off as a research project. So we look to find a particular problem or solve a particular problem. A lot of the technology developed in the lab are developed for rehabilitative applications prosthetics and um, Parkinson's research stroke rehabilitation and then we look at those technologies and evaluate them as to whether we see this technology offering something that nothing else offers. From there we would take uh, technology like the gaming technology and and basically conduct uh, more in-depth testing on the functionality sort of proving that indeed we can enhance reaction time uh, and then once we've proven that to ourselves on small-scale testing, that gives us the confidence to then step forward and develop it as a product. Cool. And what has been one of the most uh, difficult challenges for you to overcome in your journey? So for me, it's about understanding how to communicate a technology like what we're building to the general public. Uh, this idea of interfacing with the nervous system to re enhance reaction time for computer interfaces is fairly new. I would say there's nothing that I've seen that has ever been able to achieve anything like that before. So a lot of it is in the communication of the benefit it provides and how it works in, in a simple and clear way. As researchers, we think that the our descriptions of our technology on the research level is very clear and simplistic, but in reality, for the average person, it may be very far from that. So that's been a big um, growth area. I actually thought one of the challenges you were going to talk about was uh, going through your master's at the same time as working in the lab and running a company. Can you speak to that? And um, maybe do you think that founders can manage something like that? It is perfectly reasonable to do your graduate studies and run a company at the same time. And you have to have a passion for both the projects you're working on to be able to maintain sort of momentum when you're building the, both those technologies. And it really helps when you're research project and the technology that you're building for commercial applications are closely linked. They're where your research technology will feed either into the current product release you're trying to build or future iterations of that. So you said that you need to have a lot of passion, especially when you're doing so many things uh, at once. Uh, have you ever had days when you've kind of lost passion or like didn't, didn't feel like uh, you could continue doing all the things at once and, and kind of like how did you overcome that? So I think it's important to take breaks, take a step out of the work and be able to do something completely unrelated to work to be able to gain that momentum back and gain that introspective, that insight into why you're building that technology in the first place, why you're doing these things together. Yes, if you're just constantly working on these things without taking a break, without taking a step back, you will get burnt out and you'll get bored of these projects. So it is important to take a break and take a step back every once in a while. That's awesome. I always think that's a good lesson for people to take a step away. It's not You shouldn't be guilted by that at all. Yeah, the idea of you have to constantly be working 100-hour work weeks all the time is not sustainable for most people. Mm -hmm. And the idea that I think we glorify that can be problematic for company founders in the long term. It can have an adverse effect on your results rather than being beneficial in the long term if you don't give yourself that time away from work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's also important to have quality of work is more important than just quantity, especially in like such a high research field. Um, 
can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the the research that you've done and kind of a little bit more about 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 that and, and the experience you've had in your your master's program and, and how that that has impacted your company and kind of like your life overall? I've, I've enjoyed my research that I've done quite a lot more so that I've enjoyed the applications and what I've been able to learn. I think re- working in a research lab um, gives you experiences that doing coursework will never give you. Uh, you have projects, you have failures and setbacks, you have successes and triumphs. You have to be able to handle kind of the emotional ups and downs of building a project to an end goal of in research, if it's publishing a paper or building a commercial technology. Doing that in tandem with running a company allows you to also approach research from a way of, okay, great, I can publish papers with this, but what's the actual application for this? How can this technology reach people? How can it be meaningful beyond publishing papers for the sake of publishing papers. I think that my experience in the engineering bionics lab has been very positive in that sense and that a lot of the technology that I see, not just for that I'm working on, but that other students are working on, have these near future impactful applications in uh, the areas of technology they're working in. So I'd also like to talk about your co-founders. Who are they? How did you meet them? And how did you guys decide to start uh, this company? So my co-founders, uh, one of my co-founders is my master's supervisor, Dr. Ning Zhang. Uh, he's the director of the engineering bionics lab at the University of Waterloo. My other co-founder is Dr. Jaiwan He He is a postdoc researcher at the engineering bionics lab. I met them both when I joined the lab. And we decided to start the company together because I think we had some unique situations where my co-founders are world leaders in the research of prosthetic control, so they have an extensive knowledge basis on machine learning applications for interfacing with the peripheral and central nervous system. Coupling that with the time and passion I had for building technologies that could reach end users, I think was the sort of the catalyst for being able to start a company and having the the drive to start a company in a unique combination of resources. In terms of why we started the company, it was around the idea that we could make um, advanced technologies that supersede human limitation in a way that's reasonably affordable. Cool. And uh, you guys are all a technical team. Uh, How do you go about kind of surrounding yourself with uh, employees and team members that kind of opposite your skill set? So what we did in the beginning, uh, we were very fortunate to be part of an incredible program at the Accelerator Center in Waterloo, uh, part of the AC Jumpstart program. If anybody has a startup and is looking and is in kind of the Waterloo area, I would highly recommend that program. The mentors that we worked with helped to turn us from researchers into more business-oriented individuals, which is also, I think, what I can um, attribute to us being able to pivot away from a technology that we saw was a less optimal option for our company. So that would be the biggest thing I'd attribute to this development of our business backgrounds, as well as our advisors, um, that'd be David Lloyd and Peter Suma, both um, brilliant with extensive business backgrounds and technology backgrounds, who helped us to orient ourselves in a business direction away from just being pure technical researchers. Was it at all hard to pivot away? Were you really attached to the original idea of the business? I think initially I was, and I think that's a recommendation I've had to any founder of a company. When you start your company, very often this technology or idea you're working on is your baby. You love it. You know, you want it to succeed. And I think it's very important to be able to emotionally remove yourself from that idea. A, it makes making hard decisions a hell of a lot easier. As well, it makes... Um, when you, if an opportunity arises or you see a situation where you have to cut ties with that idea, it allows you to take a very clear and logical focus 
or logical uh, steps to make the decision that's best for the company, not best for your emotional state. Mm-hmm. And that ability to remove myself emotionally from that project, although I was excited by it, was what helped us see these other opportunities uh, that exist in the lab as potentially commercially viable. Kind of where do you see the future of machine learning and bionics kind of uh, going in the next five or 10 years? So uh, in terms of the robotics around, let's say, upper limb prosthetics, the technology developed the revolutionizing in prosthetics program, uh, specifically the upper limb prosthetics from Johns Hopkins University, really demonstrates that it is feasible to develop prosthetics that nearly match human performance capabilities. Uh, what they've been able to develop with their modular prosthetic limb is really exciting and demonstrates a very, um, a really incredible future for bionic limb technology. Uh, that's sort of one area of the robotics development. The second one would be around machine learning control applications for prosthetics, which has been the subject of research for pretty close to, uh, 30, close to 30 years in the re- academic research and only recently has seen introduction in some commercial applications for prosthetics and bionic systems. What we'll be seeing over the next few years is the implementation of machine learning algorithms through things like neuromorphic architectures in the embedded systems of prosthetic limbs and bionic enhancements, so like our own impulse gaming technology, which interfaces with the nervous system and uses machine learning to to predict your movement intentions. The machine learning algorithms are really the biggest area focused on the benefit in using neuromorphic architectures. You can create a very powerful system for decision making that runs on a very low power, that runs with very low power. So lastly, I would say the other area that you run into, which is limiting, is interfacing with the nervous system through sort of surface means or non-invasive means. So our technology for the impulse, for the Brink Bionics Impulse Gaming System interfaces with your muscles through the surface of the skin with a wearable. While we are able to predict clicks very reliably, there's limitations into the advantage that we can provide because we're interfacing with the peripheral nervous system. Uh, ultimately, I think what we'll see is uh, companies like Neuralink developing these high-density, high-resolution implanted neural uh, electrode systems that allow you to read information from the brain very reliably will sort of become the center point of future brain computer interface technologies. And what we'll see is companies will develop robotics, hardware, machine learning algorithms, and other applications to interface with that technology so that you really wouldn't have one company developing all the applications. It would be this ecosystem of companies developing an interface, uh, developing technologies around these neural interfaces. So despite that these technologies are invasive, the performance capabilities they can provide for people who are disabled and for able-bodied individuals would far outweigh the negativity associated with the technology being invasive. I know that you've had to do a lot of pitch competitions and you are currently pitching for another round. Um, How has been pitching your company? Has it gotten easier over time? What have you learned from doing pitches? So the first pitch competition that we did, which was the Velocity Pitch Competition in, I believe it was May or June of last year, um, we, uh, that was a very nerve wracking experience. First time pitching company in front of a crowd. But those experiences are very important. Uh, and my pitch didn't go exactly according to plan. I stumbled. I was nervous. Uh, but I think going through those experiences and messing up during those early stages of your company while pitching also shows you that really nothing bad happens if you mess up. They, you're, You've got students pitching their companies for the first time. People are very understanding of the fact that this is a major growth 
opportunity and a point of growth in time for these founders pitching these companies. So the practice that we got from doing those early pitch competitions was very beneficial. And then when we did Velocity again in November of last year, we ended up winning. It was because I'd had the practice in pitching the company and I had more confidence about the business uh, the further along uh, we went. Cool. Uh, how important are uh, patents and actually protecting your IP? Uh, how important do you think that is uh, in business and how important is it to you specifically? Well, protecting your intellectual property is important. Um, we've filed, uh, in relation to all our hardware technology, we've filed patents on everything. In terms of um, things like you know, non-disclosure agreements and things like that, uh, they're really, they're, they're effective and they're necessary to have in place, but they're only about as effective as your ability to defend them. So in, if you're developing a new technology, uh, having an ND in place is important, but I wouldn't treat it as sort of a, a an iron curtain to any violation of your intellectual property. As well, I think it's important when doing things like filing for patents uh, to credit individuals who worked on the project. I think that's really important. It may not have a monetary value to the people who worked on it, but the emotional value of their name is now on a piece of new technology that's been developed. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. um, that's not so much around protection, but I think that's important for people to consider. Mm -hmm. And who have you had to credit and who else have you worked with outside of your co-founding team? Um, so we currently have uh, a developer doing our back-end development for our new technology, back-end and front-end. So uh, he's been named on the patent seat for the technology that he worked on around the gaming device. Uh, around when we did the prosthetics, it was just myself and my co-founders. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool to have your name on a patent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, well, I think it's time to go into the rapid-fire questions. Yeah, let's do it. All right. We don't have a piece of paper, so we're just going to go wild here. Going to wing it. So speaking of wings that we didn't eat them, what is your favorite food? Pizza, but that's kind of boring. Yeah, Naroma pizza in Hamilton, that's probably my favorite. And you no longer eat like a plain cheese pizza, so it's not boring. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Beer, wine, or something harder? It depends. Um, if I'm trying to have a nice relaxing night with friends, it's wine. If it's a summer I'm sitting on the patio, it's beer. Definitely agree. And one of our favorite questions, what is your go-to karaoke song? I think it was Kryptonite from Three Doors Down. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was my go-to song in undergrad. PlayStation, Xbox, or PC? I have an Xbox. Um, I play a few games on PC, but I really want to get a PlayStation. There's some really cool games coming out for it. I'm like, I, I, have, to, I have to get one. Nice. Then we can finally play online. Who is the coolest person you've ever met? I, I'd say it's difficult to say there's different people for different reasons. Um my friend Zach Yassin is an incredible producer and his work in the music industry is probably one of the, makes him one of the coolest people I know. Uh, in terms of their you know, contributions to um, science and technology, um, I would say that uh, Peter Suma, who's one of our investors, is probably one of, does some of the coolest work that I've seen throughout his career. Uh, and in terms of sort of more celebrity people um, in the science community, I, I had the chance to meet uh, Dean Kamen briefly, who founded... Uh, DECA, which has done an extensive amount of uh, robotics and prosthetics research for the U.S. government. Uh, as well, he invented the Segway, so that's pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that is really cool. Uh, what was one of the last movies you saw that you really loved? Recently, Ex Machina is probably one of my absolute favorites. Um, did you ever have a favorite teacher, and who were they? I had a teacher in high school who... Um, helped me pass uh, a physics class that I need to get a credit, which arguably I should have failed if I didn't. And um, his name is John Montero. So that's the, that was probably the 
one of the most impactful, like single helpful things that a teacher had done for me. Uh, in terms of my undergrad, I had a lot of incredible teachers who were always willing to, and that was at McMaster University in the BTEC program. I had a lot of professors who were always willing to help students along in whatever it is they're doing. Even after graduation, they're always receptive to students reaching out. Um, so that was really cool to see. And something I think is unique to that was unique to that program because of the smaller class sizes mm -hmm. that we had. And what was your very first job? My very first job was working as in the produce section at a metro in Oakville. Do you, uh, I, I know you don't have any pets, but do you want any pets? Um, yeah, I have pet allergies, but I think I'd be willing to endure that by taking allergy meds every day to have a dog. I just would like the space for one. Yeah. And what kind of dog do you want? So if I had to pick a small dog, it would be a corgi. But if I could get a big dog, it would be a husky for sure. Or perhaps both. Or perhaps <laughs> or both. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, I think that about sums you up. <laughs> Corgi is the most important piece yes. of information about you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. If you weren't on it, um, I'd be mad at you. So you had no choice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for speaking to us and t telling us a little bit about what, what you're doing and what Brink Bionics is doing. And uh, I look forward to probably being one of the testers for it. I really would love to. It yes. I really, really want to up my uh, Fortnite uh, skills. So really excited for what you guys are doing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until, Until next time. time.